And welcome to the Donald Jeffries Show. This is Donald Jeffries. My guest today is uh, Phil Nelson, someone I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. He's written some fascinating books. Uh, he's got a great background. He was uh, It's wonderful to talk to somebody who was actually in the Peace Corps. You know, he's a huge fan of JFK's, but uh, too young to have done something like that. Just uh, kind, of, it's kind of the height of idealism that the, the, the creation of the Peace Corps. He was in the Peace Corps. Uh, he didn't start writing books until he retired in 2003, and then he produced a uh, the book LBJ, The Mastermind of the JFK Assassination, and later he uh, wrote a sequel, LBJ, From Mastermind to the Colossus. Uh, he's also written about the Liberty Incident, the attack uh, by Israel on the Liberty, which Johnson helped to cover up, called Remember Liberty, All Sunk by Treason on the High Seas. And finally, his fourth book, Who Really Killed Martin Luther King, The Case Against Lyndon B. Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Don. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to uh, talk to you. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, again, this is, you've got quite a few books. So we're going to concentrate mostly on LBJ, but uh, it looks like you didn't really you, you decided to do this once you retired. So you kind of came at this, I guess, later in life. But uh, just for, from my standpoint, is is you know I've been researching the JFK assassination since I was a teenager when I worked for Mark Lane's uh, Citizens Committee of Inquiry as a volunteer in the mid 1960s. Go ahead, Don. Which is written by uh, Kennedy's aides, uh, co- his closest aides, Irish Mafia guys, uh, Kenny O'Donnell and Dave Powers. And they really impressed upon me. They had a long section, of course, on the assassination. And while really not going into a conspiracy, they really made Johnson, uh, Lyndon Johnson, look uh, pretty guilty 
he didn't come off well at all in that book. And of course, in William Manchester's book, The Death of the President, same kind of thing. So first of all, did you did you read that book? Did you get that impression? And what, what brought you to basically make Johnson your chief suspect in the JFK assassination? Okay, well, I I fought that. I, I fought that um, for, for a long time, many years. I did not want to believe that it was anybody other than Lee Harvey Oswald, simply because it was too frightening a prospect to... Um, to consider for very long, you know, the implications of it, that is. And, and so I just went along with the crowd at first, and uh, even though it was highly suspicious, everything about it, I simply, I, I was in college at the, uh, well, when, when I was in college in the 60s, I, I never started until 65, and then um, I graduated in 69. And during that period, you know, that's when all the books were, coming out you know the first books mark lanes and uh so many others and it it just um occurred to me over time that my suspicions of johnson once only that he was a sort of a oh i don't know a uh a shakespearean character not sure which there are so many that that was that was he was very mysterious and i just felt that he was there was a sense of evil about him and it all be, all because of all the scandals that had been occurring as early as 1961. I consider that a, a scandal that just sort of came and went uh, within a month after the inauguration strip on his ranch. And it turns out later that basically the taxpayers paid for that somehow back back in the late 50s or whatever. And uh, but the problem was that. In 1961, it was not instrument rated. That is, the the airstrip was not designed for instrument landings, only visual landings. Yet, in this very foggy day, the morning of, uh, well, whatever it was, it was, I think, mid-February, sometime in mid-February of 1961. On a a Monday, over the PA system in, in in the high school that I was going to, there was an, out, an announcement that the, there was an airplane crash on Lyndon Johnson's ranch. I thought, that's rather odd, isn't it? And the, the, the oddest thing, was, though, was that was on a Monday, and the accident happened on the previous either, either Thursday or Friday. There were like four days that it went unreported. That was the odd thing. And then, over time, information sort of dribbled out, one bucketed out at a time, that um, there were all kinds of strange things about that incident that that were unexplained. They were left unexplained, and all I knew, I, it was hard to keep up with it because there was such so little coverage in the news. And, and until in 1964, when J. Evans uh, Haley wrote a book, you know, a Texan looks at London, and that's when he went into all the the backstory of, of that. And it turns out that, that Johnson standards, whatever the air, airplane, uh, or the airplane Jingo was, uh, in other words, they tried to explain to him that they could not r- safely land there. He, that didn't matter to him. He wanted to be in Midland. He had to talk to Billy Solestas about, you know, what their strategy was going to be and so forth. And so he insisted that they land. So they tried to land. And they had to fly so low to try to find any trace of where the, the runway was 
that they they then flew right in. They were only like 100 or 200 feet off, off the, you know, the surface. And there was, at the end of the runway, there was a, a big um, hill and with a grove of uh, cedar trees. That's where that's where they landed right there in the cedar trees, killed them both instantly, demolished the airplane. Turns out he didn't even own the, he claimed to have owned the airplane, but the, there was a whole mystery about the title of that airplane, who owned it. It was it had previously been owned by an oil man, uh, John uh, Meekham, I think his name was, and he had loaned Johnson that airplane to, to use during his campaign during the presidential campaign. And Johnson just held on to it. I mean, he, kept, he kept it as if it was his own. Anyway, all of that was coming out now in 1964 in this book that was very widely read you know, by many people, especially in Texas. It was, it was said. Oh, that, I, I have it. Penn, Penn Jones used to sell it. Yeah, it was, that was a great J.M. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah, it's a really, very, very it, it, uh, interesting book. <laughs> yeah, it it was that, and it went into a lot of other stuff. But this was the one that really attracted me because I knew all about that thing back from 1960. Well, just three years before. And anyway, that's that's where I I really started having a lot of um, questions. And it, this was all during the presidential campaign in 1964 that when that book came out, and and, and um, his intent, the author's intent, was to alert people that. This guy has got a checkered past, it's a strange past, and there's all kinds of stories in there about some of the shenanigans he and Billy Saul were up to, and and a number of others. And I I thought, you know, this really uh, edifies what I had always had already thought about him. And the more I I heard about um, Billy Saul in 1962, he was in the newspaper or news magazines, Business Week, etc., all on the front cover of Time. Time magazine. He was he was on the front front cover of uh, Look magazine or Life. He was everywhere, ubiquitous. That's where he was. He was in every newspaper at one time or another. Into you know, such you know uh, dark and dark places. So they just left that out, including Robert Carroll. And Robert Carroll takes uh, a, uh, had taught him how to to uh, turn every page. He became famous for this phrase. I was taught to turn every page and overlook nothing. And, well, there's a lot he overlooked. I've covered that in a number of blogs. Anything that sort of was on the dark side of Johnson, he didn't even go to. You, you will not find the name Billy Solestis in any of his books. How, how is that possible? His name was in every newspaper. And I, if, if I had time and so forth, I would document that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every major newspaper. It was the New York Times. It, th- there were there were at least um, six or seven incidents where major stories were in the New York Times about Billy Saul Estes. Four well, what, or five well, of which were on the front, it, front page. Well, as, as we transition in, into the assassination itself, explain, because at the time, on November 22nd, 1963, there were hearings being held in Congress. Uh, a guy was testifying, and they were going to have a cover story, I think, was it Look Magazine, about the scandal between Johnson and Billy Saul Essis. Uh, rumors were rife that uh, that JFK was not going to have Johnson as his vice presidential 
vice president on the 64 ticket. So mm-hmm. talk about how that played in. So Johnson was really at a low point in his life on November 22nd, 1963. So the assassination was uh, the best thing that ever happened to him politically. Well, yeah, it was. And everybody at the time sort of uh, whispered about it. And there were all kinds of rumors and everything, but it, 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 they, he managed to squash them and he managed to, to, to make certain that uh, newspapers uh, would not print anything like that. I, 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 I published in April of um, 2021, March or April, something on that very point. It was about how, how um, these, these stories were just shoved aside and, and, uh, and not pursued. And, and how Robert Caro and all the others, all of the other biographers and historians who ever, whoever uh, wrote about him until I came along, ignored all these things. And, and in, in this, this case, just, just, uh, just three weeks ago, I published something that went into very great detail about Robert Caro and, and all the stuff that he had managed to sidestep. And someday it would, you would think that somebody would have to um, square this. I mean, who's right here? Am I right or is he right? When everything fell apart, and so right. uh, I, I just, uh, I, th- I, th- I think it's astonishing that they can do this and and then still be lauded as such brilliant historians that never miss a page. He missed a lot of pages, and and that's just, <laughs> that's just one. I'm, I'm not going to go into everything. Right. So, well, but, yeah, exactly. But as you note, uh, Billy Solis has basically disappeared. And, and he, Billy Zolensis, lived a long time because our, our mutual friend Douglas Caddy uh, was, I think, I think it was his attorney. He was associated with him mm-hmm. for a while. And when did because Billy Billy Soul kept trying to keep this story alive, and he basically was out there saying, "Hey, you know, Johnson was behind everything, and, and nobody, very few media people were interested." In you in in one of your books, you relate a colorful incident that Douglas Caddy posted about where he said he met Caro. And I think in the mid eighties or something at a conference and asked him about Mac Wallace. We'll go into that. Mac Wallace was supposedly LBJ's personal hitman and whose fingerprint was, you know, there's controversy about it now, but it was originally reported his fingerprint was found on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building. And hard to, you know, hard to explain that. But and Carol just kind of grabbed him by the coat lapels and said, Where, you know, who are you? And you need to get back to me or something. Of course he never got back to him. So uh this is that was all brewing at the time. LBJ was in deep political trouble. Boom, the assassination happens. It's never mentioned again. Uh, at least all Essence, even though he lived late life, he couldn't get attention to his story. So uh, LBJ's uh, crimes were possible crimes were completely covered up, and uh, his, you know he just became this uh, you know this president that uh, has generally been treated much better by historians, especially in recent years, than JFK has. Well, yeah, that's that's that was all part of the. Uh... To deal with him, he he wanted to make sure that 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 was the case that none of this stuff would get reported, and he was so successful at that. Uh, and and his, I mean, there were so many cover-ups, and you can go through every single one of them. Okay, let's talk about JFK and uh, Robert Robert Kennedy, the murder of uh, Martin Luther King, the the uh, attack by Israel based upon Johnson's orders to Israel essentially, to, to attack his own ship and sink it with all 294 men on it. That, that was the intent. He, he, he inserted that little operation in the middle of what they had been planning, Israel had been planning, uh, 
as and it would later become known as the Six Day War. It was in June of 1967. So, so for years, it, it had been planned for years, for, and it was it was so ingrained that the key date it was June 15th that it was it became part of the operation. It was the operation was called that operation, the, the big operation, the attack on Egypt. Um, th- that. Uh, the, the the name was Frontlet Six One Five, and that was key to it. Was it was such a key that everybody had to plan around that they made it part of the operation name. It's got to be done on June fifteenth. So everybody worked towards that, and there was the the whole Israeli IDF, the key people in and uh, Johnson's. Um, well, it was called the uh, 303 Committee back in those days, but it was essentially the same as his national security staff, and it was headed by Walt Rostow. And and the others on there, I'm not going to go through the names, but they're all in the books, the books, actually, um, because I've, I've written two chapters in the Colossus book about this. And then after I wrote that, um, I sent copies of it to some of the survivors of the, of the USS Liberty, and I suddenly became in touch with many of them. And so I, I ultimately, after that, I decided I'm, I'm going to write a special book just dedicated to the USS Liberty. So it's called Remember the Liberty. And it goes into all the details on on, on all of the findings that I put together. And it uh, really, um, I believe, conclusively proves that um, it was Johnson. It was Johnson's idea when, when in, in the middle of all this planning, which went on three or four years, that really started in 1965. Set, they started in 1965, setting up for this 1967 attack. So that was, and, and, and it didn't start there. It had to be planned before that. So sometime, like he, obviously in 64, it had to have started there. The planning, that is. Because he oh. wanted to make sure that, that something like this would happen um, so that so that he could be vindicated for his Vietnam fiasco. And and right. people, especially Absolutely. Jewish people from New York who who, who and, and Washington of course, who he had really become upset with because they weren't backing him anymore. They didn't like Vietnam for some reason. They, those guys uh, uh, Abby Hoffman was out there and Jerry Rubin and all and a number of people mm-hmm. and they all seemed to be Jewish people from New York, and, and that just grated on him because he had felt he had done everything he could possibly do for for little Israel. He would he would call it. Well, I'll mm-hmm. tell you what. As soon as uh, JFK was murdered, the following year Israel's um, foreign aid jumped like eight hundred percent, and it kept jumping for well, the, the whole time he was he was in. Well, in well we well we know before JFK was assassinated, uh, it, and it was really thanks to Michael Collins Piper, who gets no credit in this community. He was smeared as an anti-Semite, but he wrote Final Judgment years ago. He's the one that exposed the fact that behind the scenes, JFK was in, involved in a very vitriolic feud with David Ben-Gurion of Israel over uh, Israel's nuclear weapons program. So JFK was considered an enemy of Israel that time, and then Johnson comes in uh, and it befriends Israel and uh, ends up doing something like the Liberty. But I, I want to uh, make sure that, because and you, we have so much here, if you're willing to stay for two hours, that's fine with me. If you want to do it, we can open up the phone lines later because there's a lot to talk about. But I want to kind of do it in, in, in a timeline and just 
let's 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 look at November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. LBJ is there. Give us a, your concise overview as to why why you think he was the mastermind. I I believe certainly was involved uh, as far as the JFK assassination itself. Okay, sure. Well, uh, the, in the introduction of my first book, uh, LBJ the mastermind of the JFK assassination. I know that's a bold book, a bold title, and and I've really been raked over the coals about it. But you know what? I stand by it. I stand by it more stronger now than ever. And and it's, you know, all that controversy, by the way, and I'll get to your point in a minute. Uh, all, all that controversy was people who, who, who could not understand the real meaning of mastermind. They, they thought that meant he, he not only concocted the the idea but he was in charge of every single facet of it of being played out and being the, the guy in the center you know giving directions to everyone else and 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 controlling it all and monitoring it no no that's not the yeah look up master way in, in, in a dictionary and you'll find that as i've said over and over until i'm blue in the face that a mastermind could be just the guy who who came up with the idea, but he had enough gumption and he had enough influence and power over other people, and and he, and Johnson's favorite expression, all his time, his whole career, was, power is where power goes. That was that was a that was his refrain. What he called a meme or uh, you know his uh, whatever. It's something he must have repeated every every morning as he was shaving and cleaning and whatever. He he, he must have repeated that because he was he was um, if if nothing else, he was manic, and that means, well, uh, you know if what what used what bipolar is used to be called manic depressive. Okay, so ma- mania is when when you're so high and so pumped. You know, and then you fall into a deep depression. That was Johnson to a T. He did that over and over again. He, he was also paranoid, and he was a bit schizoid, I think, and uh, psychotic, basically. And he was a serial killer. He's a narcissist and a sociopath. And when you're that, you're combining that with all the other stuff that was wrong with him. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I've talked to a, a number of, of them, not about me, but about this. And, and, they generally agree. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm citing psychologists and psychiatrists within the book. Okay, so it's not like I'm making this up. But but it doesn't take a genius or does, doesn't take a PhD in psychi- uh, psychiatric um, whatever to, um, to to understand that when you combine all of those kind of traits into a single person, you you, you got a, a person there who who has no feelings of guilt about anything. Okay. In fact, he, he, it, it's, it's, it must be a foreign thing to them, because they just—that's the way they are. Sociopaths, narcissists—that's the way they are, and that's the way he was, and that's what everybody just skates around the whole time, and including Robert Caro and Doris Kearns Goodwin, and well, everybody, so-called historians, who are what I called hino because they're historians in name only. They're, they're not interested in real history. They want to perpetuate myths, and that's what they do. I call them court, I call them court historians. Is what I call yeah, them. right. Well, anyway, back to your question, though. How about on November twenty second, jo- Johnson? Uh, I started to say in the introduction of my book, I, I went into some 
detail, and I, I described uh, all all of the the, uh, the the standard motives. That I mean, the motives, the opportunity, all that, you know, uh, and and the and the effect if he did not take such a move on that day, it had to go through, and and it did. And I believe strongly that that he he was at the Mercus. Some people have um, believed that he actually had the one of the pilots drive him over to uh, the Murkison place. But whatever. And and by the way, all those people who said they saw him down at the hotel, well, that was his his cousin who was a you know a spitting image of him. He 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 would. He would use this guy, this cousin, um, uh, J.R. Peck, I think his name was. A- and um, later on, he, th- this guy went on television and, and went on the Johnny Carson show. And jo- Johnson didn't like that. Guess what? You cannot find that on the Johnny Carson show. If you go in, in the in – the, uh, well, no, I, I think there's a reference somewhere to, to – to an interview with a, this guy, Jay Peck, uh, but it but it doesn't list him as being, the, you know, Johnson's cousin, a lookalike cousin. It just, it doesn't list him at all. And and, and on the on the um, there's a video that that was made and and he appeared in it, and that really that really pissed Johnson off. Because you know, well, anyway, the, the the fact is that cousin got murdered a couple, a few months. I think it was in, in June or July of 1969. A few uh. months after Johnson left office, uh, well, his cousin somehow got murdered, and a lot of, well, some people, and I, I believe it was done by um, the, the mortician. Um, oh, what's his name? <laughs> you know. The, the, the uh, murderous mort- mortician, uh, oh. John Liggett. That's okay. another story. A, I've written blogs about it, and, and it's all in the book as well, in the first book. So anyway, on that morning of November 22nd, he, he had he had to uh, to make the move, and and that that was agreed to the evening before, and and they went forward with it, and he the way around in the motorcade in Dallas that is he he would he would sit up once in a while and smile and wave and then he would sit down in the seat and many times he was monkeying around with a with a, a radio a secret service radio that Rufus Youngblood had and he had kind of shared back and forth Rufus was in the front seat right in front of him he was in the the back seat of course and all the stories about how Rufus uh, Youngblood saw, he heard the first shot and jumped over the seat, <clears throat> that's all BS. It never happened. According to Ralph Yarborough, a far more credible senator from Texas, who was in the same car sitting next to Lady Bird on the other side, he, he would say later, not just once or twice, over and again, he would say that didn't happen. R- Rufus may have turned around briefly and, and – uh, to, told him to hit the floor or something. That they would say, uh, but I mean the, um, the what he really was saying. Yarbrough was was saying no. He he was doing that the whole time. What, I mean on and off again. And then when it got to the intersection, 
of Houston and Elm Street, he hit the floor totally uh, as much as he could in, in a rather small space uh, and, and started ducking even before the sh- first shot was, was taken. That, that shows up in the photograph, the Algens photograph, that um, I've had a, a close-up shot of his car at that moment, when, when, when just seconds after the first shot was taken. He's no, nowhere to be seen. Yet um, his wife, Lady Bird, and Ralph, they're sitting there as stoic as possible. They're smiling, a faint smile on, her, on both of their faces, as if nothing. They hadn't even had the chance to react to, to the shot. They didn't even have a chance to react. He's already on the floor. So what, what better evidence? Now, by the way, some people will say, well, you should look at Robert, Robert Groden's book. Well, he sells, sells one of these $100 books with all his photos in it, all of which came from, guess where, the House Select Committee, and, and he managed to be lucky enough to work there, and somehow he wound up with all these what, thousands of photos. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm, but anyway, yeah. um, it is what it is. He had, he had this photo, but I'm going to tell you something. The photo in that book has been retouched been retouched to conform to a drawing that Fred Newcomb had originally put in a in an unpublished book back in the late sixties, I think it was sixty seven, where, right. where he he had, had had some artist sketch out where he thought Johnson might be. And so so they uh what R- Groden did was take that and some somehow overlay it to to make it so much more clear that that's that's him. Well, that's not the that photo has been altered. Groden did that, and he and and somehow trying to prove that Johnson was not uh, on the floor. Well, he may not have been on the floor even in that situation. Though he was, he looks like he was uh, had, had leaned way to the to his right, the left in the photo, and 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 it looked like he was on his way down if if he wasn't already ducking. But the point is. You can make a, a drawing that first appeared in Fred Newcomb's book, and then Jordan comes along and, and somehow makes a copy and, and uh, overlays that image right onto that Alton's photo. It's as clear as a, a day that's had to happen that way. But other people, Jim Bajuna, for example, comes comes about and says, um, "Well, N- Groden really nailed it there. He he shows that London was yeah right." Give me a break. That did not happen. Uh, if anybody really wants to discuss that, they have to show – you have to look at the original Alton's photo, and he's not there. People, if they want to see him there, and they, they do all these tricks to – oh, there's his ear or something. Well, no, come on, it's not there. He He's ducking here. And uh, anyway, I'll go to my grave uh, – Thinking that and believing that, so well, Penn Jones, Pen Jones used to say that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm sure you. Penn Jones used to say that all the time. And oh, yeah. I remember and, him. And Penn uh, Jones also oh. was the one who first published. Uh, well, actually, he, no, he was just uh, actually uh, repeating what had happened in the uh, Dallas Times Herald on, on April the twenty. Third or could have been the twenty fourth. No, it was, I think Johnson made a speech in in Dallas at the Brown Hotel on on uh, April the twenty third of of uh, nineteen sixty three. The next day, 
I think that was a Sunday. So the next day, Monday, it, it appeared actually in the Dallas Times-Herald. And Penn Jones, of course, picked that up and repeated it and put it in his uh, newsletter. That basically Johnson was, was in the middle of a speech in April. We're talking about six months before, or seven months actually, before the uh, the assassination. And he was basically going on and on about um, about holding back until November. If 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 you if you want to replace, as he says, he he compared it as a metaphor to a, a pilot. He says that if if a pilot is is. Uh, if you're if you're in the airplane with the pilot, you don't want to fire him now. You want to have to you want to wait until we we land. He says, and and in the case of uh, you know uh, the president, he, he was referring to the president. However, he didn't name him. He says, but but if you want to want to replace the, the the leadership, you have to at least wait until November before you shoot him down. And that was a. It was probably because he was probably drunk. He was drunk often, okay, and he went to Dallas probably to meet with the key people that he needed to meet with on that subject. And he and I believe that he he had a few t- too many martinis or scotches at lunch or something. And before he went to that speech, he he he, he lost himself such that he was repeating the same meme that to to all these. 2,000 uh, reporters and, and politicians who were, who were meeting him there, he, he was telling them the same thing that he had been telling the, the half dozen other people or, or whatever it was on, his, on the other parts of his trip. I just think he, he, had, too, he had too much uh, alcohol in him when he did that. What, what, what other explanation could one have for such, such a crazy incident? Well, it, it's John, Johnson's, and that's what I was talking about that book, Johnny Hardly Knew You earlier, because it 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 went into his behavior. And of course, the famous uh, Johnson and uh, Robert F. Kennedy feud. I mean, they never liked each other you know, when he was in the White House as vice president. But on November twenty second, his behavior was so uh, I think it, it turned off all the Kennedy people, and you can read it in that book and RFK in particular because he lied. He claimed that RFK made him uh, – told him he had to take the uh, oath of office on Air Force One before he left D.C., which was nonsense, and, and RFK was really incensed over that. And so I'll talk about that because I I get the sense because isn't it that they said RFK wouldn't even acknowledge him on Air Force One? And then we'll talk a little bit about what I've – what has come to light and I've heard from several people, the unbelievable behavior, the celebratory behavior of, of the Johnson people on the way back to, to D.C. from Dallas, where they were, as Liz Carpenter uh, uh, told, according to Evelyn Lincoln, they were really whooping it up. I mean, wh- what is that all about? Well, uh, that's uh, – I'm not sure if I can uh, – I'm not – oh, um, you know, what uh, – I, I don't know how to put it because I can't prove any of it, nor can anyone else, I suppose. But uh, I, again – and what I said before about him being drunk, well, that's my speculation, too. And whenever I speculate, I try to point out, this is what I think, but I can't really prove it. So as to that question, though, I, I think that some of the people there were in the know. And, you know, you know all the names of the Johnson people. And there were some, some big leaguers in there. At least they, they got to be. They weren't at the time. For example, Bill Moyers, 
Bill, Bill Moyers and Jack Valente. Um, there's there's so much that I've I've learned about um, both of them, for example, that that is not just in these four, that those the first two books, but in, even in my Martin Luther King book, I I have basically um, written about there's about eight pages where I'm I'm in, intertwining the the patterns that that existed in the murder of Martin Luther King in Memphis five years later were very similar to some of the patterns in the JFK assassination. There was a guy in, involved in, in that in, in, in um, Dallas and, uh, and in, I guess, Houston, um, named Raul. His name was Raul. Isn't that interesting? There's another Raul, and of course in Memphis that was leading. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Was was, was leading um, uh, James Ray all over the Western Hemisphere as well, uh, and paying him money to to drive around and be where he want, he expected him to be, and people just poo poo that. They say no, he was the murderer. No, he was not the murderer. He was set up, and and it's I've proven that in spades in that book, and I. Um, I'm not sure if we want to go there now, but perhaps later. Um, and 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 all of these other incidents, you know, the, uh, the 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 one the ones that are pertinent for the books, all four of the books. But but beyond that, I've written a, a, a lot of blogs that follow up on all of this. And within those blogs, by the way, I I'm also. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying it's fact. I'm saying that there's all kinds of evidence. If if you look at it closely, that that the murders of Adlai Stevenson in 1965, uh, you know, Fred uh, Fred Hampton and um, Malcolm X in the mm-hmm. intervening sure. years, and then in, in 1968, of course. Well, in 67, you had USS Liberty tried to murder 294 men so he could get reelected the following year. And that was what it all came down to, by the way. And and then again in 1968, and it wasn't just Martin Luther King on April the 4th of 68, or two months later, Robert F. Kennedy, but there's also Thomas Merton in December of 1968. I I believe he was involved in that murder. And by the way, I skipped over the one in 1967 uh, of um, Australian about whether it's it's a solid case or not. I, I'm, and, and again, I'm not saying that I approved it in those three cases, but I've, I'm heavily suggesting it. Well, I think so. it, what, what you, what you, what you've, you've obviously delineated more than anybody else, but just having looked at, read a lot about Johnson, because I'm such a Kennedy guy. But and so I was, you know, as a seven-year-old when the assassination happened, I was from a Catholic family. And nobody, uh, we weren't, they were all distraught, obviously. And nobody believed that Oswald did it instantly. And all of them suspected Johnson because they were, you know, they just kind of hated Johnson. He was this corn-pwned Southerner who they probably thought hated Catholics. And uh, he was such an antithesis to Kennedy, you know, this urbane, you know, charismatic guy and smooth talker. And LBJ was just... Even if he was being sincere, he just just like the kids people called him. Yeah, exactly. And so, so you know, but 
what I'm amazed at is that and we, we can go back. I want you to talk a little bit about the LBJ body count leading up to the assassination, which may have included his sister, by the way. But uh, it, I can't find an anecdote about Johnson that depicts him, even as press secretary, a bad person. Nobody. I've, I've never met anyone that encountered him thought he was a nice guy. Not once. I mean, it's a... <laughs> Okay, Don, ahead, Don you, you cut out there again for, for just uh, 10 oh, seconds. Did I? But, yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, well, I hope you heard it. I was saying nobody's, nobody's uh, uh, that has, met, has ever met Johnson, apparently, ever described as anything other than a nasty human being. So. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, you, you have all those uh, sycophants that have uh, tried to, you know, uh, clean up his act for him and his, you know I'm talking about Bill Moyers again especially and I'm, ta- I'm talking about Jack Valente too and, and I've again I've, I've covered them in quite thoroughly in the blogs much more so than in the books uh, and you know I have come to believe that the reason it was such a celebratory um, celebratory um, ad- a mood in the Johnson suite or whatever it was on that airplane the, the section is because it, it was Johnson he was finally the president he was uh, something that he felt he was destined to become <coughs> excuse me it, he, he had always felt it was his destiny to be, to be president and even Caro in his first book when he was still writing in a more critical style Really did a great job in, 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 in making that case, you know that he would. He always felt that it was his destiny, and and nothing could could um, stand in the way of it. And and there was a famous quote where he went on about that point that that no no um, no question of morals or ethics or anything of the sort, you know, could stand in the way. That's that's a, a paraphrase. It's not a quote. But that's what you can find in the first book. But all that kind of stuff just sort of went away. How Johnson got on the ticket, that's all in, in this last uh, fourth book uh, called um, The uh, Passage of Power. That was published in 2012. And then when that was published, he said that he was, he was going to, to um, write one more. And, and, he, and, and there... Somewhere he said, I, I can't find that quote, but I, I know he, he said that the tone will change. Who knows what that means? But I think he's going to be more critical again, basic, but basically of Vietnam. But he's going to be, he's going to go ahead and, and say, oh, what a great, you know, um, person he was because of all the uh, civil rights legislation and the social, other social legislation. And well, it's too bad he didn't bother fighting to fund them instead of funding the Vietnam War, because they didn't make make much progress. They got it, they got it on the books, and he knew that in order to salvage his legacy, quote unquote, he would have to do that. And I'll be damned, it worked. And so many uh, writers and all the magazines, the Atlantic, and all of them. And, and uh, newspapers and so so forth and and authors. Again, I, I hate to repeat myself, but all of that just went unreported, and it's it's unfortunate. But 
but the, the, the picture yeah. that most American people, uh, that kids are taught in school and, 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 and even in college, and probably even, you know, in the, the higher degrees, you know, the master's and, and the doctorate degrees, they're learning nothing but myth. It, it's, it's sad yeah. uh, that uh, this has happened. But as a matter of fact, I, I, strongly, I so strongly believe in all this that, uh, that, that when Johnson left office, he had put an infrastructure in place that would protect his legacy. And part of that legacy, that that uh, that structure, is, is putting Bill Moyers in, in, a, in, a, in a New York uh, capacity as, as a you know publisher and so forth. And a, he got to be on PBS, and he would drone on for hours in a very mellow voice about you know how what a wonderful, a great guy he was. But that doesn't square with what how he had, himself had been treated uh, by Johnson. He must be very conflicted. I, I, I hate to say it, but he... Katzenbach exchanged a memorandum on November 25th that said the public must be satisfied that Oswald was the assassin. They basically said, you know, there's not going to be any investigation. Yeah, they laid it all out right there. I mean, <laughs> precisely. Right? So anyway, it's um, so, something that is, has been a, on my mind so much. That I, I, I'm seeing linkages, Don. I'm seeing linkages to what he did back in the 60s to what is going on now with the deep state. And I'm going to christen him. I'm going to, I'm going to at some point, I believe, um, God willing, uh, do something else in, in the form of a book that traces LBJ at, uh, as, as, as the godfather of the modern deep state. I'm not. I mean, everybody yeah. can point to all kinds of stuff that went back even thousands of years ago, or hundreds of years ago. That there was always this kind of stuff in the back room. All you have to do is, uh, you know, well, explore just a little bit, and then you can find all that. But but the point is now, the deep state was put on steroids most recently. But it all started in in 1963, November, and in film. That's what was. That's that was his position. That. He had Lou Wasserman, someone of, of equal O capacity as Johnson in terms of being uh, ruthless and, and manic and whatever. Yeah. Uh, he 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 got Lou Wasserman to to get Jack Valenti appointed as as his own little guy out there running the show in Hollywood and to protect his legacy and and he did over and over again and I I cite examples and. The uh, Colossus book you'll see in the in the appendices letters from from p- people who wanted to to write a, a book about this uh, Texas Ranger back in 1951 and one of the first murders that uh, that he felt all along not all along necessarily but he finally concluded that it was Johnson and he he had basically set up this guy Malcolm Wallace as his hitman. In 1951, to to murder a, a golf pro uh, named Doug Kenser. Uh he he had a little course right south of downtown, across the river. And there was a a putt and, pitch and putt uh, golf course. It's like a par three, but anyway, he um, he, he he was the guy who who was running that. He and his brother had had purchased the land and created the golf course. 
and he got very close to Lyndon Johnson's sister, who was uh, sort of a party girl from in the 50s and, and 19, up to 1960. I, well, 61, Christmas. Her Christmas Day really got ruined because she went to, to LBJ's house for, for dinner with uh, Mac Wallace. And, and she made it home after, somewhere after midnight. And then, um, well, she died in the middle of the night. And then she was buried the next day. <laughs> and, the, and the guy who, yeah. the, 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 the doctor who signed the birth, I mean, the death certificate, didn't even see the body. And he was just told, just sign yeah. it, you know. So that's the kind of influence he had. Mac Wallace basically murdered his sister because she was causing too much trouble again in 1961. And, and it started back 10 years before in 1951 when, when, when she was um, rendezvousing with uh, Doug Kenser and um, uh, Mac Wallace's wife. Or, well, they were. They were separated or something like that because Mac was working up in Washington at the uh, Department of Agriculture. Johnson loved to put people in the Department of Agriculture, by the way. He wasn't the only one. But, in fact, even Caro goes into a lot of detail on that point about how he would would put all the people who really worked for him on on the dark side on some other payroll. Okay, not his. So he couldn't ever be associated with paying Mac Wallace off of his payroll. No, no, no. That was the Department of Agriculture. <clears throat> Pardon me. Well, but this, um, well, I'm, I'm getting to, uh, into a lot of weeds here, so let me uh, <laughs> uh, step up. Well, 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 well you, you, made, you made a great point, though, about the, the deep state because uh, Lyndon Johnson was kind of the forerunner uh, to uh, certainly Bill Clinton or, or the Bushes to these body counts because he had a significant body count. And, and even they, you know, even Bill Clinton didn't kill his own sister that we know of. So I mean, that's that's incredible that happened. And and uh, but uh, you're right. He his ruthlessness and his willingness to to hire his own personal hitman. I mean, you're talking about uh, you know something that would fit right into today's world because I I can imagine he would relish canceling his opponents and uh, you know prosecuting his mm-hmm. opponents for for everything. He would fit right into today's Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right, and I, I think that he he set the mold. As, as a matter of fact, it was either Bill or Hillary once said, I wish I could find this quote because I remember it as clear as ever, but it, but I can't remember whether it was Hillary or Bill who said that Bill had learned everything he knew about politics through the study of Lyndon Johnson. And, by the way, he had a lot of help on that because he was – he had been appointed to um, oh, Oxford or whatever by Senator Fulbright, J. William Fulbright right. from uh, Arkansas, right. who was chairman right. of the Senate uh, Foreign, Foreign Affairs Committee, and and he 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 would go on to write. I mean, I, I want to say something about him, Fulbright. He he was the one who who basically was trying to to get all of the other senators to support the Vietnam. Um, declaration of the, the Tonkin Gulf Declaration, and he would he would go around uh, uh, telling them, well, well th- this happened from uh, with a, with a senator from Wisconsin named Gaylord Nelson. I actually had lunch with Gaylord Nelson Nelson in 19 
65, I think it was around October, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, my my poli-sci pr professor uh, asked me to, to go with him to meet the senator and go to this, uh, uh, some kind of meeting, party meeting, I guess, over in um, Racine, Wisconsin. And um, and 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 he he was he was he was talking about how he, he had been pressed by by Fulbright to to uh, to sign on that that he basically essentially assured him Nelson Gaylord Nelson that 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 he would not Johnson would not misuse this and and do, do any but Gaylord Nelson was very skeptical about that he he did not want to he did not want to do this he, he did not want to pass that but but he was pressured by. But Fulbright, uh, and then later Fulbright, when he realized what was going on in Vietnam, then he he was one of the biggest um, wielded going into his administration, as you know, as the um, uh, guy who was at the wrong place at the wrong time and all that uh, at the right time or whatever, and uh, he just kind of fell into the presidency. No, 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 no. That was uh, a very long-term plan. And by the way, the that's a point that even Caro made over and over again throughout his, his books about Johnson's um, meticulous planning skills. He, he, he could make people think that when, when they met him in a, in a Senate corridor or an elevator, that there was, it was just a spontaneous a serendipity or something. No, no, no. He, 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 would, he would go out of his way to make sure that he would d meet some of these people, uh, and this is something that Carol went on and on about. How what and, and there were many examples of, of how he would he, he was such a great planner, and well this and, and but yet it stopped there as if but he he would never think about using that meticulous planning skills to actually get someone to murder or something. Well, no, there was a number of murders. And Billy Saul Estes, by the way, had, had always stated, and it's in those letters, the Doug Caddy. So, so Phil, before, before you get started on that, it can, if you can hold there, because we need to go to a commercial break here. And I understand we're having uh, some kind of uh, trouble with the broadcast here off and on. I don't know. Maybe we'll Chuck will talk about it. But uh, if you can stay for another hour, that'd be great. We'll open up the phone lines. Are you okay with that? Oh, I uh, I'll, I'll uh, check with my wife and, and see if okay. because she she I think she's starting to make dinner. Okay, well, 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 well. In that case, yeah, because I don't. Why don't? Because I oh, I can go to break a little later. Why don't you just? Because we we didn't even nearly scratch the surface. I'm saying, but why don't you take? How, 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 okay, she she says that she'll she'll go ahead and have dinner, but I'll I'll just eat later. So. So well, we'll, we'll, we'll if, you, if you're okay, okay, if you're okay with that's great. So Chuck, if you if you if we can break now for commercial, and uh, we'll we'll go for uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back after these words.
time of fake news, fake politicians, and fake fiat currency, it's getting harder to find the genuine article. That's why when it comes to precious metals, I call the team I can trust. This is David Knight for my friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Proudly veteran-owned and operated, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange is your home for gold and silver coins, bullion, jewelry, and more. Prices and inventory are updated daily, so you get the most competitive possible pricing. And when it's time to sell your gold and silver items, they pay top dollar. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange also accepts and deals in Bitcoin. Call or text the owner, Tony Arterburn, today at 888-667-1836. That's 888-667-1836. Or just go to wisewolf.gold. From bullion to Bitcoin, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Wall Street Gold, silver, the stock market. Wall Street Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Hi, this is Ron Paul. You're listening to The Donald Jeffrey Show. Go ahead, caller. Hey, I'm interested in the truth about the JFA assassination. Right. Well, what do you want to know? Judy Baker's wild claim, Oswald girlfriend, she knew Ruby and Barry, cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFA assassination broken into her claims? Go to Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, <laughs> a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Barry Baker in her own words. Thank you. For all the great information. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations that are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations that are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. Hi there, this is John Barber, and you're listening to the most informed man in America, my friend, fellow author, and raconteur, the great Donald Jeffries Show. Support Chuckochelli at Chili.com. 
there's no money in it. So yeah, that is that's the, the problem. That's the biggest problem, I think. And you know, some people would say that look, you're in an age when you can be independently supported. But uh, quite frankly, I, I, I'm on that business model too. And uh, look, I'm not going to complain, but uh, but I'm going to complain. <laughs> okay, because people want to support you. They love you to death, but uh, honestly... So if you're listening in, this yeah. is a very unsubtle request to support the damn show. And I want you to do this, too, because, um, you know, uh, the Achille Report is one of the few places where Greg Palace can get his his uh, the, the stuff out. I mean, you'll still see my bylaws in some of these outlets, but nevertheless, um, I used to be a regular on CNN and on MSDNC, uh, but uh, no more. Revelation through conversation. Ochilly.com. Do you like history, real history, that you were never taught in schools? Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia by author Mike Swanson with new documentation never seen before that will open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon. Why? The Vietnam War by author Mike Swanson. The views expressed by Caller Schools or anyone else who happens to get on the air at Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli. And we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you. Ocelli.com. Revelation through conversation. You are listening to The Donald Jeffries Show. Welcome back. We're talking with Phil Nelson, and he's uh, very uh, kindly agreed to stay on for another hour. He has so much information here. So let's let's Bill Moyers and uh, and other psychopaths. Not 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 just Moyers, and not and not just uh, any other person. It's Valente, of course, has, has passed away now, about fourteen years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. But but he he. Uh, you know, after the uh, video of the guilty man, part of the series, the um, History Channel series, uh, the, the medical Kennedy, Kennedy. Yeah. right? Well, that when when episode nine, the guilty man, came out, and it was all about Lyndon Johnson. They they came uh, that that was all put out there on the sly, by the way, because the, uh, no one of them knew that it was coming. And so, as soon as it came out, they reacted. And so, and Bill Moyers uh, and uh, Jack Valenti, Lady Bird, um, Jerry Ford, all all ganged up on on the crew that did this. All the the presenters and and the, and the well, people who produced it. I batted away some phone calls and, here because I'm producing a show. I'm having it. Hello. Chuck, hello. Yeah. We're hearing you, Chuck. Yeah, I don't know. We heard Chuck. Just, just go ahead, Phil. Sorry. <laughs> um, they only, not only did they get rid of that one, actually, the show sort of ended at that point, and and um, uh, the the word was that um, that I've heard from some of the people who were involved was that the the, the History Channel 
not only acceded to their demands to not broadcast anymore, but but the, this group was was trying to to get the names, the addresses, the phone numbers of everybody involved, because they wanted to make sure that they were from then on monitored, and and not allowed to go go to these dark places. And 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 the the producer uh, or the, the person uh, I can't remember his name now. But anyway, he's a British fellow. Oh, Nigel Turner. Turner, right? Yeah, um, he he went in. He, he was a very gregarious and very uh, you know popular guy and everything. He 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 became a recluse. He went back to England, and he became a recluse. And no one, he just dropped off, and no one knows where he is. What he's he probably changed his is name. He still, he's is, 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 is he still? He's still alive? Do we know or? Oh, no one knows. I mean, he's disappeared. So, okay. you know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but, yeah. but, but, uh, some of the people who had, who were involved in it, who I know very closely, are the ones who told me this, and that because they were among those targeted. Well, that's now that's that that's pretty well known in the community, you know, about all of that stuff. What what is not known so much in the community is what happened to me when I first wrote uh, LBJ the Mastermind. Well, the first edition was self-published. And that's a long story, but just it was self-published. And and so, but it was only published for two months, two and a half months, when Skyhorse came to me. And they, had, they had an editor, one of their senior editors contacted me and asked if if I'd be interested in letting them publish the book. And I said, well, of course. I, I was going to actually make it make such a request, but I didn't need to because they came to me. Well, what happened after the assassination, pertaining to Vietnam and the USS Liberty, everything, okay, that I had mentioned in that first book. And and they, they not only wanted to make it shorter, but when I said, well, what about this, all this stuff, other stuff after the assassination when he became president. I mean, that's half the story. They said, you can publish a second book to put all that stuff in there. So so that's how that worked out, that I published two those two mm-hmm. volumes. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. then and then I did the Liberty book. And then I came back and did the Martin Luther King thing. But but the story I want to uh, tell you about, I've, I've told it a couple of times, but not too many, I think, was that when Skyhorse picked it up, this was in... Um, 2011, and um, they they published the book in, in November. So in December, just a month after it was published in in 2011 in November, I had a call from 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 some very prominent um, New Yorker. He uh, and I'm not going to name him, but he let's just say that he's um, in in with the in crowd up there now. In the publishing world, so forth, uh, he, he's actually an art collector, a rather famed one. And um, anyway, just leave it at that. He told me that he liked my book so much that he had had a, gone to Skyhorse Direct and and uh, bought a carton of uh, whatever, a few cartons, because he wanted fifty copies ah. of it. And mm, and cool. I later confirmed that with the editor that yes, indeed, that that happened. Well, anyway, so he's he's uh, he started. We had a series of conversations. Uh, I think 
for a while we were talking like you know once uh, every three or four weeks and then so forth it dropped off and but even today i mean not today but recently i've been in contact with him as well so so he's still out there and he's still interested in and in, um, what's going on but anyway we, we talked and 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 one of these conversations he calls me up and he says well, Phil, you'd never guess who I ran into um, at a cocktail party last night. And, well, of course, I, I didn't notice. I said, well, well, who would that have been? He says it was Bill Moyers. I said, really? Bill Moyers himself? Yeah. He says, uh, he says I, and, and I, he, he, he knew everybody in New, in New York who was anybody. And like, the, for instance, the... Um, the, the publisher of the book section of the Sunday New York Times, and, and it was a Japanese lady. I can't remember her name, but he sat next to her at a dinner party in, in this same period of time and tried to convince her that they should do a book review over my book. I said, no way. They're not going to do that. <laughs> he says, yeah, that would be it. But he, he, he really thought my book deserved to, to be there. Sure, I said, sure. see, the thing is, I explained to him, you know, they, the only books that they're willing to even look at are those that you know confirm and and uh, and support the original idiotic thesis of the Warren report, and and if it conforms to that, well then they publish it, and, and you can go to Phil Sheenan and look at that book and you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, they'll right, publish right. a book about the JFK assassination as long as you don't uh, criticize anybody in the government that might have ever been involved. Well, so this has been this kind of censorship has been going, as you know, more than me probably, uh, for a long, long time. But in this case, he told me that when when he when he explained that what he had done, you know, he he liked my book and and that he had bought all these copies for friends, and he says, "Have, have you read Have you read this book?" And uh, Moyers, that that's how they started out the conversation. They were both standing. In a cocktail party, and somewhere in, um, I, I suppose, the Upper East Side of, of New York, which is where he lives. Anyway, uh, he, he said he, he, that he then explained the book to Moyers, and and Moyers just looking at at him, you know, like he was crazy or something, turns on his heels and and departs rather rudely. The way the guy put it or the uh, guilty men uh, the video he 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 and they were taken by surprise because you know what that book my first book i never published a damn thing anywhere about anything i used to write some kick-ass insurance reports though by the way uh, <laughs> which are very rare in, the, in, the, in that industry <laughs> but anyway um anyway the the the, the point here is, is that um Having been taken by surprise, and, and that book was reviewed by Publishers um, Weekly, or was it? I think it's Publishers Weekly. And Publishers also, Weekly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and another one, uh, I don't know, whatever it was. But what we're talking about yeah. li- literary journals, major literary, and there are only half mm-hmm. a dozen, okay, or so. Right. Right. And, right. and one of them now is going commercial, so if you want a book review, just send it to Kirkus. They'll give you, you know, a four-star review at least. Uh, but anyway, because you're paying for it. But but these were independent publishers. These are the literary journals that book 
sellers or book buyers, pardon me, book buyers look look at to see do we want to order this book or not. Okay, and also librarians. Whoever buys books for librarians, same same deal. <clears throat> and if they don't see it in one of these journals, it's going nowhere. Well, guess what happened after that? After a first book, mm, rather good reviews, by the way, by by these literary journals. Then suddenly, after that, every book, every other book, that is the three following. How many do you think got got reviews in any journal? Uh, Zip zero, none? nada. Z- yeah, none. Yeah, yeah, That's right, right. No reviews ever for Philip Nelson again, says Moyers, and I'm convinced that this happened. What, what else? What oh, else could yeah. possibly explain that? How would a, sure. a brand new author, it's not a publisher, a damn thing, get reviews and a good reviews out of two and, major literary journals, and then in all subsequent books, which I believe were even better than the first? Okay, none of them ever got a review. It's it's uh, it's clear as day yeah. to me. I think I think only if you have somebody like Bill Moyers the <laughs> reminding oh, him yeah. if they're thinking of doing it. Uh, no, I don't think so. And Moyers Moyers is such a fraud because he gravitated to PBS and for a while he was involved with this thing called the most uh, the most covered up stories of the year or something. He's tried to fashion himself as like a you know an alternative journalist or something. Which is but you know he mm-hmm. he will not go at and same thing with Ramsey Clark. Ramsey Clark kind of did the same thing. He became like a radical and defended the uh, it took, uh, condemned the actions at Waco and I think he was uh, defense attorney for Saddam Hussein something like that. But but he neither one of those guys will deviate. From the uh, you know the lone assassin theories and the uh, the uh, King and Kennedy assassinations. Yeah, that's very interesting because it's, it seems that um, Ramsey Clark ha- has has had correspondence with uh, Dr. Pepper, William Pepper. Okay. Yeah. And and in fact, as I recall, he he, he actually wrote a, a good review of Pepper's latest book. Now I could be wrong on that. It seems. Oh, okay. Well, with all of it, but I apologize like, to you, Ramsey. Then <laughs> yeah. I, I, I might be wrong about that. Don't hold me to that one. But he he did appear somewhere, and it it seemed to be he was oh, uh, at, at at least had had some sentiments uh, that, towards uh, Pepper's work that that he thought was positive. So that that is damned interesting because um, at the time, you know, he was caught b- between. Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover, and he was supposed to be, you know, the uh, uh, the Attorney General under Johnson, in charge of the Justice Department under Robert Kennedy, and and neither one of them, he, he wasn't getting along with either one, and, and of course they were, he, he got caught right in the middle of that feud, and and by the way that feud was even deeper and. Uh, more murderous than most people even knew because it was they, they actually well, you, well before before you go there I, I was again and I didn't get to read all your books because they're so big and there's so much in them but I found a couple fascinating anecdotes that I thought I'd heard of before but that shows Johnson's hostility after JFK was dead he didn't uh, hide his disdain for the Kennedys anymore there's an anecdote that he ripped uh there was a secret service agent that he saw wearing a pt 109 uh tie cl- uh, clip and he ripped it from him threw it threw him in the trash and, and reassigned the the age and then after he died uh 
uh, Secret Service agents guarding Lady Bird said that in his house he had, of course, tons of pictures with dignitaries and, and famous people, but none right. with Kennedy. I mean, that's 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 yeah. what does that say? Well, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, he he always tried to to let on like he got along just fine with JFK and they were great pals and all that, which is all BS, of course. But 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 he he made no bones about our Robert Kennedy. In fact, even Robert Kerry, get get this now. Even Robert Carroll, in his latest book, um, among other weird things that are in there, they're, and they're too numerous to even count, by the way. I, but I've written blogs about this, if anyone is interested in finding out about that. <clears throat> but, um, but even Robert Carroll uh, acknowledged that th- this, this, this terrible hatred that he had about Robert Kennedy, and, and, and he quoted... Uh, someone in this, in this latest book, as as, uh, as saying that, stating that um, Lyndon Johnson, when asked, you know, about Robert Kennedy, uh, some question, his response was, if, "If it's the last thing I do in this world, I will slit his throat." And he took took his thumb and and drew it across his own throat, you know, to to make the point. Okay. Now that that that, that quote from uh, that quote from Johnson comes from Carol. Where where did that quote? Because that's an that, astounding that, thing. That quote, I, I don't know the page number, but it's it's in uh, one of the later chapters. Um, oh well, I I think if you went back there, you it would become obvious because the name of the chapter in that uh, book it's called Passage of Power. Okay. Okay. It it it, it has some um, the the last couple of the last several chapters get into some of this stuff. But the point I want to make is that even though he, he said, stated that, you know, he, he just let it at the end of that sentence. He, after that period, he went off on some old, something completely different. In other words, he, he, he threw it out there and then he, and then he ignored his own words and, and or the implications of his own words. And, and, and just, started talking about the uh, 1960 convention, okay? Now, there's something... Yeah. When, now, talking about the 1960 convention, we, uh, I have, I have uh, some sources, and I'm, I'm working with people to, on another blog that has not yet been issued. But basically, uh, it's going to show that, that the feud between Robert Kennedy and Johnson actually came out before the 19th, uh, the July 15th or so, July 10th, I guess it was, um, mm-hmm. Democratic Convention. Okay, and and a, a month before that, he he sent he sent uh, 12 investigators into South uh, Southwest Texas to do a full investigation of all, all of Johnson's and Billy Estes, Billy Saul Estes's um, frauds to the government, and. And and he wanted to dig up all the dirt he could, in order to 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 keep Johnson off the ticket. Period. Not just as the president, but as the vice president. And someone, well, t- one of those, at least one of those investigators, was murdered one week before the convention. Wow. Now, that, do you do that, you have that? Yeah, yeah. Because that's another yeah. part of the body count. I mean, but because well, well, uh, I, 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 I go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, I was just going to say that uh, Doug Caddy, in his letter, I think it was either eight or nine, maybe ten people listed. But Billy Sell said there was actually 17 altogether. So there was another seven that were, he never really identified. And I, I think we're going to come up with, uh, with at least one of those. Well, before we – because you mentioned the convention, I, I want to just – so the, the people – the audience knows that, uh, and this is a fascinating thing, is we've always heard before that uh, the conventional view was that JFK, not, and I, Johnson had been, you know, he had, and, and RFK started being hostile to Johnson because he he basically brought up uh, uh, Kennedy's Catholicism, and he also kind of inferred about his Addison's disease or whatever that maybe wasn't healthy enough, and there were whispers that he was, you know, also willing, because he was friends with J. Edgar Hoover, to talk about uh Kennedy's womanizing. So RFK didn't like it to begin with, not to mention they had so much in, that they're so oh, little yeah, in common, well, but Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying, but your your thesis is, because what we had heard is that they Kennedy named him for political expediency, he could help him win the South, okay, that makes sense. But what you're saying, I think, if I understand it correctly, and correct me if I'm not, is that Johnson basically uh, intimidated his way onto the ticket, but basically he said, you know, as you know, as a matter of pride, you should ask me, but I won't take it. And then he took it and shocked them. Am I wrong? Is isn't that what ha- what what you're saying That's happened? Exactly what happened. That's precisely what happened. And he 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 had. Um, well, the, the story has been told. The, the true story has actually been told by by a number of people, including. A lot of it comes from Bobby Kennedy himself, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself, and 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 through his, uh, you know, the resident historian there, uh, Arthur Schlesinger, uh, yes, yes, wrote a lot about it. But also uh, Clark Clifford, who who was was had been high in the um, Truman administration, and he he was always in a, a Washington go-to guy in the legal world and so forth well and he became secretary of state eventually but um but the point is in 1960 he wrote that 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 what what happened was was that um johnson i mean excuse me uh jfk had already offered the position the nomination to um stuart symington a senator from missouri and and not just once, but three times. And each, each time it was it was it was uh, it was it was conditional. But the third the third and final time, right there in Los Angeles, was unconditional. It was just, will you run with me? And he had extended him that offer, and there had been an acceptance already. And Clark Clifford was in the middle of that. Okay, and so so he he's the one who who portrayed it in the opposite way, completely opposite way as as Robert Carroll. And he was he Clark Clifford was right there. And so was Nancy Dickerson, who was a CBS News um, reporter, uh, you know, anchor or whatever. Um, and I, I think now she was just an on-site news uh, reporter for CBS News, but she had gotten to know JFK and Johnson. Uh, very uh, closely. Let's just leave it at that, okay? I'm not going to be commenting on <laughs> yeah, what she may sure. have done with them, but uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. And, and her own okay. her own son, John Dickerson, in his book, sort of referenced that whole thing. 
when 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 uh, Johnson was trying to get her to to uh, come visit him in Paris, okay, he had just come back from Sweden, and she was in in um, Italy, I think, at the time, and they were conversing. And he he said, "Why why can't we go back to to uh, Paris, meet back there before I head back to DC?" And and she she was she demurred and said, "No, I I'm really in my vacation or whatever it was. She had other plans." Uh, but anyway, so John Dickerson made this this rather glib comment in his book, re- referencing that that very point, and and uh, he he said something like, "And I'm sure it wasn't for um, tea and croissants, <laughs> or coffee or whatever." <laughs> coffee and <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is all interesting stuff to me, and it's just it, it goes to the to, to the human side of all these characters, and yeah. and they're all they all have their own weaknesses. Obviously, everybody's got their weaknesses and strengths and so forth. And not all people do all things, you know, right. according to biblical Can uh, I get- standards. Well, I, I want to I want to get to a, a question from the chat room for you because this this is uh, and I think it's interesting. I was going to ask you something along these lines. Does the guest agree with Barr McClellan mostly, or does he have some different views? And does he acknowledge the fingerprint in the book depository is not Mac Wallace's? And also, why doesn't some still try to find the cover up the print since it's but very strange phone calls urging him not to publish his book, right? Well, yes, he, he has he has stated that and. I I I think Bar McC- uh, Bar, Bar McClellan was um, he 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 meant well. However, the the use of uh, faction, as he called it, and rather you know fiction, faction, whatever he used the word right, faction right. because it's based on facts. He says so. He invented these conversations, and and uh, that's just over the top. I mean, I mean it's not. It, it, well, it's what Bob I can't believe the answers allowed him to do that, but it, it diminished his book in the in the in the you know in the um, for, for many people at least. And I, I I can understand why he he did it in order to tell a story. And I even uh, explained that over and again. It was just his little literary tool for telling a story. It, that's all. He could have said it in third person and described the same uh, event, but he chose not to. Now, Barbicon did have what what was considered at the time absolute proof that the uh, the uh, fingerprint of Mac Wallace, you know, was was real. And and right, I'm right. not going to go in through all that evidence, but but um, you know that that's that's something that. Um, has been a source of controversy for many, many years. Now, Barb McClellan's book that I think that was published in 2005 or something like that, uh, and it, and it was originally brought up in 1998, um, by uh, several researchers down in Texas and Austin, uh, Jay, um, oh my gosh, what's his name, Jay. Her- I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Jay, Jay, Jay Evans Haley? Jay Evans Haley? No. Oh, Jay Harrison. Jay Harrison, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry, Jay Harrison. Right. Yes. Yes. Jay Harrison. Walt Brown got to be real close to Jay Harrison. Yes, yes. And wound up with basically his entire 
set of property related to his investigations and so forth of uh, you know JFK assassination uh, when he died. I think Jay Harrison died in something like 2005 or six. Uh, so he, he he used to think, and it, he was on the guilty man, and he was pretty much on board with the it, Johnson had a big role here. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember him saying very assertively that um, it had to be in Texas. It couldn't have been in Wisconsin. It had to be in Texas or something along those lines. It's a paraphrase, not a quote. And um, so he had a lot of uh, – some kind of a change over him happened. I can't explain it. Uh, I really couldn't care less about it, to tell you the truth. But he didn't give access to Joan Mallet to to, uh, to those files. And <clears throat> Joan's book, uh, Faustian Bargains, uh, was written basically to – somehow prop up LBJ's uh, image and uh, deny that he had anything to do with the assassination, as well as vindicate, can you believe this? She tried to vindicate the hitman, Malcolm Wallace, in this book. And and it was a very laudatory thing. The way she described him, he was was arguably the most dynamic, uh, you know, erudite, brilliant fellow that you ever want to meet. And he's a little introverted, too. And and by the way, even though he had, he, he, he didn't murder that first guy, that, that um, Kinzer fellow, Doug Kinzer, uh, it, it it was just an aberration. It, it wasn't him at all. It, he, he, was, he, he had a right person. to do it. He had a right to do it because his his wife was having sex with this, this golf pro down there, and not just the two of them, but London's sis, sister, Josepha, they were doing the, you know, what they call it, the menage a trois deal mm-hmm, in yes, public. Yes. And, and Baker Park, or Zilker, whatever it is, Zilker Park, it was it, uh, down there where the uh, where's the, his little golf course was. They would, there, was a, there was a park there, and they would drive their cars around there and, and do something with, with each other in, in those cars, and, you know, at, in the evening hours. And maybe some people got a glimpse because they started a little bit early or something, and somebody walked by the car and they saw something or whatever. But the the point is, it was getting around town. It was rumored, and and John that's that's the reason that that uh, that caused Johnson basically to tell Mac Wallace he better get his arse back down there to Austin and do something about this because it's going to come back on him, and he didn't want to be in the middle of this. And basically, he, he basically had cancer, and people saw it. He, he parked his car. It was, a, it was a 10-year-old Pontiac. Then this 1951, so it was like, whatever it was, it was 19, whatever, about 10 years old. Yeah. He always liked 10-year-old cars. That's, that's the one thing that Joan Mellon proved in that book. He constantly drove the time. Yeah. I just want to get this out. Yeah that it wasn't really something that she just wanted. She, she was basically, according to rumor, I'm not saying this is true, but there's a lot of rumors that, that, that someone on the LBJ Foundation found a way to um, grease the skids for that book. We'll just oh, leave it at that. I, 
Okay. Well, I mean, and, and I, you know, and that's a good, tra- it's a, it's a good segue into what I want to talk about the career. Cause I, you know, Joan is, uh, you know, and I, I know Joan and uh, she's been on the show a couple of times and I, I'm very familiar with this community. And that's when I want to get to this point because it's, uh, there's so many contentious personalities there's so many debates and everybody, nobody trusts anybody else. And I'm sure, but I, I know the kind of person, and you mentioned Jim DiEugenio, who I also know and have interviewed and, uh, he obviously has a big ego and so many of these people do, but, uh, and I know for whatever reason, he has this thing about, uh, he, he wants to distract attention away from LBJ. I don't, I don't really know why, but, um, so I'm sure he wasn't receptive to your book and, uh, probably a lot of the critical community wasn't. So what, what kind of, when your book came out and it started getting attention and especially maybe when the second one came out, uh, what was the reception in the so-called, I mean, Hidden History, my book has done really, really well and sold a lot more copies than I ever thought it would, but uh, and not thanks to anyone in the JFK assassination research community, which I thought would be my natural base, and they have, you know, mostly ignored it. So uh, what what was the response that you got from people, our fellow researchers? Well, it was it varied quite a lot, and, and, and I, I found... Uh, some uh, m- many researchers who who did support me uh, from the start. Jim Fetcher, for for one, I know that he's. A lot of people think. Um, yeah, he's that, another one. Yeah. Be, be, because he gets involved in some other things that that yes, um, yes. they're a little uh, a bridge too far for some people. So let's just leave it at that. I'm not going to criticize Jim. I, I I think he means well. Um, and anyway, uh, the, there there was just numerous others. And I I don't want to name them. I think some. Some of them might uh, prefer that I not. So, so let's just leave that at that. Now, on the other hand, the, the, there was a lot of strange um, reactions when when Skyhorse took that book, and actually there were strange reactions even before they did. And in fact, that's when 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 it all started, and when it was this is back when in 2010 when it was self-published, and it was only self-published for about five or six months, and then it was not published. I, I took it off that market. Uh, that after after I got the Skyhorse contract, so um, Walt Brown, for example, he wrote a glowing report initially, and then a, a month later or whatever, he, he retracted practically everything, and, and he accused me of uh, using too many uh, secondary sources, some of which he didn't he didn't like. I don't know. It's uh, you know maybe jealousy, uh, maybe jealousy that you got. It, it it had to be a lot of jealousy because here here I am I came from nowhere I had never written a damn thing about uh, except maybe on a blog or two or not a blog but a you know one of those forums I, I wrote and even even today this is like fifteen years later more than that anyway from when I started my research back in two thousand six and then I published a book in two thousand ten. So I, I wrote my first book in, in four years, and then it was self-published, and then it went to Skyhorse at their request, by the way. And I wanted it there because that's the only way you can get a book into bookstores right. and libraries. If, if, it's, if it's self-published, forget about it. They, they consider that yeah. vanity press, and, and, and no one really cares too much about that. So I yes I wanted to get in libraries I wanted it in airports I I, I felt I felt that you know there's a there's got to be a way to get this because once I was traveling 
and uh, in in Denver, their new airport out, out there. I, I went in the bookstore, and uh, I, I saw Abraham Golden uh, Bolden's book, um, you know, Echo Echoes from Daily Plaza. And I thought, oh my gosh! So you can actually write a JFK book like this that's critical of you know the Warren Report, etc. And get it in a bookstore in an airport? My God! If, if I could do that, then it would surely go right. Well, I personally tried, not through the publisher. I personally spent a lot of time trying to get that book in airport bookstores, <laughs> and they would have none of it. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's it a, it's it's like trying to get it. It's it's like trying to get your book in Target or something. It's it's, I don't know. You have to be a real insider to do that. But uh, well, obviously this, the critical community is what it is. And how did were you associated at all with? Uh, you know, and this is, for better or worse, my name is associated with Roger Stone because he uh, at the time he was Skyhorse's biggest author, I think, and uh, he had written a book about. LBJ and JFK, and he loved hidden history, and uh, he ended up writing the foreword to the paperback versions, and that's by far my best-selling book. So my name's associated with his, and now I, I looked at it as kind of a plus. Then now it's it probably brings me more negative attention, but uh, I know how the critical community treated him, especially once he started supporting Trump. Initially, they were you know were, 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 weren't that cold towards him, but. How, first of all, do you do you know him, and how does how does your work differ from his? And uh, have you been lumped in together? You think uh, with him and McClellan, maybe even Craig Zerbel, as book, book, book wrote books that are uh, saying LBJ did it. Well, uh, basically, my understanding, I, and I, I'm not saying this is fact. I, I believe it is fact because I believe I remember that that Roger had told me that that uh, he had read my book and. And that inspired him to write his. Okay, so that sort of connected us from from that point. His, okay. his was published uh, like a year or two right after mine, and uh, he had he had gotten another author, Mike, uh, I think his name was Coleopetra, uh, to to do most of the writing, and then he, you know, added whatever he wanted to add about his. Um, discussions with Richard Nixon, you know, about the JFK assassination and so forth. So, yeah, we've met a few times in conferences, I think three or four maybe, and uh, and we got along there. Now, that's not to say – see, the, the problem is is that people still think of the political spectrum as being left and right, and you're either right, far left right. or you're far right, right or you're somewhere in the middle. Which is absurd to me. Okay, it doesn't work that way, and I, I refuse to even identify on, on that idiotic scale. And the problem is, the scale ought to be not just liberal on others. And I'm very liberal on some, and very conservative, and but mostly I'm generally around the middle somewhere. But I'll be damned if if I can explain all of that on such a scale. In fact, I believe I'm I identify this huge globe sphere if you will my little space on there was only about an inch and, and, and we're talking about a huge you know thing that that uh, every, everybody has their own spot on and some place and some people have none at all they're just in some big blob at the bottom <clears throat> but anyway you get the point no exactly uh, well, regarding re- regarding Roger though I I I've sort of had 
and if people don't don't understand by now what's going on in this this whole right. thing that started with Russiagate, which was if if if, if you if you only read MSNBC, you'll never understand this. Okay, just right. forget about it. You won't understand it. Lou published yeah. many of my stuff years ago, but you, 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 I mean, you served in the Peace Corps. So, again, you're older than me, but you were obviously uh, tuned into JFK's idealism. And, well, uh, was, but that, but, that, 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 yeah. Well, as I explained earlier, I, I was critical of Lyndon Johnson since February of 1961. It's not something that I just, figured out you know um, a, a decade or so ago and and uh, i had reasons all the time I, I went into that airplane crash but there was so many other things and and i talked about billy solestis and bobby baker and all, all these scandals were going on around El- wherever he went it was it was just scandal yeah. city that's 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 where he went he he, he was he was surrounded but, but he had already surrounded himself with people who were as corrupt as as he was Abe Fortas, the, he, he appointed the Supreme Court, but then when you tried to make him chief justice, well, that didn't work out too good because they found that he was had some criminal stuff behind him. It wasn't to the tune of LBJ's, though, but the point is he, he used people to help propel him higher up the ladder, and, and they used him wherever he could possibly fit them in. And so he, he, he had a great skill, and this, is, again, is acknowledged, the argument is made by Robert Carroll, but he had he had a, a great skill in in sizing up people, and uh, well, uh, helped largely by his access to his his neighbor and friend J. Edgar Hoover's confidential files. He could he could get a file on anybody in Congress, anybody, well anybody in the country, I guess, that, that if he wanted it, and that he did it all the time, and and so. He he was he was basically using the leverage that that created to to get the dirt on every senator, every congressperson to, who he thought might be a threat to him, and he found a unique and customized way to neutralize whatever might come out out of that person, and and that that was that was interesting. There's just so many instances of that. Uh, for for one example. The former um, Senator Thomas Dodd from Connecticut had gotten himself into um, just a, just a f- corrupted the whole campaign finance thing, like Lyndon Johnson. But 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 he never got caught because everyone was so afraid of him. <laughs> I, whatever, and after he was, especially after he became president, you know, he was like the king. In fact, he thought he was the king. But anyway, the. Um, Oh my gosh! I lost my place again. Um, well, we're, we're 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 running low. Try to get this. In. Another question in the chat room said, uh, "What about the whisper in in uh, Madeline Brown's uh, ear about tomorrow we'll not to worry about this Kennedy boys anymore?" What what do you think of Madeline Brown's story? I I believe it 100, percent and that is primarily be, because I know people who knew her closely, not just at a distance, but knew her closely, and. They, they convinced me there's no question about it. She was telling the truth. She wanted it to come out and, and make her peace or something. And, or, or I'm not sure all of her motives. And 
And unfortunately, a number of, of uh, people who interviewed her uh, in her last year or two exploited the fact that her, her mind had, had grown, you know, she was in her 80s, whatever the, her age was, I forget. <clears throat> but anyway, sometimes the mind falters, and, and I'm experiencing that from time to time, even in this interview. I lose my place. What was I talking about? And, and so... <laughs> Do you think Doris Kearns? Oh my gosh! Don't even ask me about Doris Kearns. Well, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I was going to say, you think she, did you, she, she didn't review? You didn't? She didn't review your book? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I couldn't get her to sign on for that. And and well, it, it, it she's just one of many who who Johnson personally, you know. Uh, became involved with and and to to get them to write um, biographies of him to two two Texas um, publishers uh, one of his name is Harry Province and he was from Waco and then there was another and like oh boy I, I can't remember now um, well never mind there was another one who wrote an early biography. And it was all the good backslapping, you know, magnanimous. But he um, he he was uh, as evil as I think as I can possibly portray him. And the, uh, I've made the point a number of times now. But I'm not just talking about Robert Carroll here. I'm talking about Robert Dalek and Randall Woods. And I'm talking about, uh, of course, about uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin and Harry Province and this, um, oh. Name is on the tip of my tongue, but there's so, so many other books. There's a, there's a book by um, another guy who worked in the White House, Eric Goldman, um, about London Johnson, and that touches on a few things, but there's none more um, compelling than Richard Goodwin's book, Remembering America. You gotta you gotta read that, especially I think it's chapters 43, 44, 45. Some, in other words, there's like two or three chapters. There's one in particular that it, it's it's all about. I think it's like yeah. a twenty-page chapter or more. But it was yeah. all about how Bill, about he, Richard Goodwin, and Bill Moyers came to believe that Johnson was psychotic, and and had an, other mental issues. And so one um, one of them. Went, went off to, to meet with psychiatrists, and one the other one went with psychologists or whatever it was. And they came back with the same information that that he was he was really off the rails. However, they they commiserated about it a while and decided, yeah, but who would believe us? I mean, he he would have our gonies if if we uh, if, if we went forward with this. He was still alive right. then, and. and uh, and so they said, well, we, they agreed, well, there's just nothing we can do about it. So um, they both shut up about it. Bill Moyer still doesn't want to talk about that damn thing that happened in that White House that he was personally involved with. But I've touched on a few in some of my blogs. Uh, but, but Richard Goodwin was so sick of it, he, he, he left. In fact, he, he left Johnson to go work for Eugene McCarthy. This is before Bobby Kennedy had declared, you know, well before. And so, so uh, he was working as a speechwriter for, for Eugene McCarthy, a, 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 you know, the fiercest enemy that Johnson 
had. Excellent. Uh, well, we're 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 getting we're only have a couple of minutes left, so I want to make sure I give you. Time. First of all, what what are you are you working on anything new? And then after that, I want you to take the time to promote anything you want to promote. Give out your links and whatever else you want to talk about. Okay. Well, I uh, I guess I I would just sum it up uh, by by saying that um, t- together with the four books, the t- tangible things that one can go out and acquire. Either buy or go to a library. Some some libraries actually have those other books, good reviews, uh, d- despite what so many critics have said that it was unreadable. It seems like a lot of people have said it's very readable, and they sort of think it's pretty pretty damn good. Uh, oh, absolutely, sure. So anyway, that's an argument that will never resolve, I suppose, until the, the cows do really come home. After I wrote the four books, so my first book. Uh, the Skyhorse edition was published in 2011. The hardcover, and then 2013 is the, the hardcover is all gone now. So unless you buy it on the aftermarket, but the um, paperback is still out there and and is selling well. I'm very pleased with that book, but it's not my best book. It, it's a good book, uh, and there were a couple of typos and other, you know, uh, insignificant, pertinent, not very pertinent. Errors that but people you, glommed onto but, and said, but, you can't read this book. It's got these I, I, but I, I, I hear the music coming up. Give out your blog one more time. What's your blog address? LBJ, the master of defeat. Deceit. The master of deceit.com. Great. And okay, Phil Nelson. Yeah, thank what did you. One more thing, would you say? Well, there's contact information on there as well. If anybody should want to contact me. Great. Well, I I appreciate you staying the whole two hours. Fascinating stuff. Have to talk to you again. We could probably get readers out of this. Phil Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. See you next week on the Donald Trump Show. Thanks for listening. Take care. fake news, fake politicians, and fake fiat currency, it's getting harder to find a genuine article. That's why when it comes to precious metals, I call the team I can trust. This is David Knight for my friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Proudly veteran-owned and operated, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange is your home for gold and silver coins, bullion, jewelry, and more. Prices and inventory are updated daily, so you get the most competitive possible pricing. And when it's time to sell your gold and silver items, they pay top dollar. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange also accepts and deals in Bitcoin. Call or text the owner, Tony Arterburn, today at 888-667-1836. That's 888-667-1836. Or just go to wisewolf.gold. From bullion to Bitcoin, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange.